Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. But you know what we're here for today? We're here for Corinthians, and we're here for the Lord, right? Uh, let, me, let me give you a little bit of what was going on here. So this part of the letter, it's kind of difficult um, because Paul's answering questions that the church has. I was talking about that before. Uh, what he's going to be talking about in chapter 7 are a couple of things. Uh, he's going to be talking about singleness. He's going to be talking about marriage. And he's going to be talking about divorce. And so over the next couple of weeks, that's basically what we're going to talk about. Singleness, marriage, and divorce. So let's just take a look at it. And look, look at the way that he begins this in chapter 7, verse 1. Here's what he says. Now, in response to the matters that you wrote about. All right, now, why does he say that? is because there are figures of speech that were kind of flying around Corinth. We have our own. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. What happens in Vegas? Stays in Vegas. And we got our own figures of speech, right? Well, they had theirs. And he says, all right, so you've got these little figures of speech that you like to say. And that's why he says it the way he, the way he did in, in verse one. Now, in response to the matters you wrote about. So he's replying to that. It's good for a man to not have sexual relations with a woman. So they wrote about that apparently. But the question is, is why did they say something like that? Well, I'm gonna tell you. Now, it seems that there was a group in Corinth. So you have this church that comes out of a completely different way of seeing the world. They have completely different ways of looking at marriage. And so he's in response to that. All of the early converts that were coming into the church at Corinth, they came from that. Now you can imagine, because I wasn't always a Christian, and I kind of bring all that stuff in with me. And so it's this process constantly of kind of pulling the mind weeds out and putting the truth into my head. It was no different for these people. So what did they believe? Well, apparently there was something going on in the church at Corinth because the culture around them was so highly sexualized that there was even a group in the church that said, even if you're married, you should be abstaining from sexual relationships. Now, by the way, the Bible never said that. Let me be really, really clear. The Bible never said that, but people in the church were saying that. I know, that blows your mind. Did you know that people in the church actually say things that the Bible doesn't say? Well, no different then than today, which is why I always say, go back to the word, what does it actually teach? Can you imagine the impact that this might've been having in relationships there? In order to really be honoring to God, you need to be abstaining from a sexual relationship with your spouse. Here's what Paul, that's Paul's like, I can't believe I have to reply to this, but it's going on there. So let's talk about it. I mean, it's, it's almost like the saying that we have now. This is why we can't have nice things, right? Or when a teacher actually cancels recess because two students in the class were being pills. It's kind of like that. And so here, Paul is pointing out that marriage is a gift. It's a gift. He says, but that's not the only gift. Being single is actually a gift too. So to be fair, we don't live right now, we don't live in a marriage honoring culture very much. Would you agree with me on that? There's no. As a matter of fact, if there's an adage that represents our culture right now, it would be something like this. Marriage is just a piece of paper. Have you ever heard anything like that? Now, of course, when people say it, I'm like, I think you're totally missing what marriage actually is. Now, Wendy and I actually have a piece of paper uh, and it's sealed so that if the house burns down, you know, we'll still have it. We have a piece of paper, but our marriage isn't the piece of paper. There's a lot more going on there than just that. We have our figures of speech. 
uh, Pew did some research, and here's what they found. In the, last, in the last 60 years, the percentage of adults in the United States who get married has dropped from 72% to 50%. That's a lot, by the way. That's a lot. Uh, the average age, by the way, also keeps getting older. Right now, it's about 30 for men and about 28 for women. You can imagine what comes with that as well. We're also having fewer children. I mean, you're starting later, and so we're actually having fewer children. So we probably have some things that we would need to work out with regard to marriage as well today. So did they. So let's start where Paul starts. Because where Paul starts in verse two is with the goodness of sex and marriage. The goodness of it, not the badness of it. These people, for some reason, were thinking it was bad. He's like, no, in marriage, it's good. Notice what he says. He says, but because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. And each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. I know, you're like, that's crazy talk. How could he say something like that? Well, it's because he had to. It's because he had to. But here's the twist. I want you to look at verses three and four. It says, a husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise, a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. Guys, y'all like that verse. <laughs> now, some of you are gonna misunderstand it, which is why I'm going to explain it. To the Corinthian men, just so you know, this was obvious. Let me tell you what was going on in Corinth. They believed the wife was the man's sexual servant that was basically there to fulfill his sexual desires. That's the way that they looked at women. The men had total control over basically everything. The more I talk, the guys are like, I don't like those Corinthians. The men had total control over everything. They could demand sex. It was expected. They could divorce the woman for almost any reason whatsoever. And it was totally fine. Guess what? The women did not have the same protections and provisions. Everything in that culture was steeped in the man's favor. Shouldn't have been that way, by the way, but it was that way. So Paul starts like that. Now, in the same way, a husband, just so you know, because he keeps talking, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but the wife does. Women, you liking Paul now? See, he didn't stop where the Corinthians would have stopped. He goes, no, there's something more going on here and you're completely missing out on it. In other words, here's what he's saying. You should see yourself as her servant and not as her master. Everybody else around you is seeing it the other way. But husbands, here's how you should look at your wife. How can I serve you? How can I bless you? How can I love you well? And it should go both ways. Here, here's what it isn't about. Well, I was reading Paul the other day, and uh, you know, here's what he said, wife. He said, you have to have sex with me because your body isn't your own. Don't do that. That is not what he's saying. This is not a verse that you need to just pull out of context and manipulate it. He's saying there's something much bigger here in a marriage than what you're even saying in your own church. What he is saying is in marriage, each partner should see themselves as the servant of the other. So what this means is, in my relationship with Wendy, I should be considering her before myself. Wendy should be considering me before herself. By the way, her needs are completely different than mine. Uh, her likes and dislikes are completely different than mine. And you know what? That is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. 
but I should be inclining my ear, listening to her heart to know how I can be a blessing and to serve her well. That's my job. But it goes the other way too. Wendy should be putting me in high esteem and seeking to love and to bless me too. The Corinthians were missing it. Paul says we've got to correct it. I mean, imagine, imagine if most marriages actually functioned that way. Do you think that marriage would be different? Do you think that people would actually view it differently than, well, it's just a piece of paper and then walking around in constant fear of committing to it? My guess is probably so. But he does go on. Take a look at verse five. Because he's talking about sexuality, he goes, so we gotta keep this in mind. Verse five, he says, don't deprive one another, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer, and then you come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, why would he say something like that? Well, first, what he's getting at is there are reasons to actually have time in your marriage where you're not having sex with each other. And those are spiritual reasons. Um, However, in a lot of marriages, the reasons that there's no intimacy between a husband and a wife have nothing to do with spiritual reasons. It actually has to do with there being a disconnection between the husband and the wife. A couple of examples. There's no emotional connection between the two. There's poor communication between the two about desires and needs. There might be literal medical issues that are going on that you're just having to address. And you go, it's just where we're at in life right now. There might be unresolved anger between the two. There might be an actual disability that happens. That's understandable. I'll throw another one in because it always comes in in all the studies. Children. Children will keep you from that. And you know what I'm talking about if you've had them. Uh, they are a drain on your time and resources. They're great little blessings, don't get me wrong, right? But Paul's real here. This is the way it goes. Which is it though? If you're finding that there's a, a lack of, of intimacy in your marriage, what's the reason for that? Is it what we find in most of our studies? Or is it because the two of you for a season, like Paul's talked about to say, to have a deeper spiritual connection with the Lord, have removed yourself from something like that for a time of prayer? That's a big difference between the two, right? And he says this, don't fool yourself. If you actually are not pouring into one another, and that means emotionally connecting, mentally connecting, but also here he's like physically connecting with each other, you've set yourself up to fail. Because you're built for these kinds of relationships in your marriage. And so you should be fostering it. In your marriage, you should be fostering that. Okay. So here's basically what he's saying. So for the crowd that's walking around your church saying you need to abstain from sexual relationships, husbands and wives, get over it. It's false. But wait, there's more. Because he says in verse seven this. He goes, now I wish everybody were as I am. Now that just sounds a little puffed up, right? I wish y'all were like me. But here's what he means. He says, each has his own gift from God. One has one gift and another has a different one. Now, Paul, just so you know, when he's right, he's single. He's single. He's like, I've, I've got a gift. He uses the word of charisma. I've got a gift. And he wishes more people were like him, which is basically saying, I wish more people were single like I am. That sounds like a strange thing to say after talking about marriage. And it goes against the grain of those who just can't fathom, for example, a person being contented, even though they're single and not having sex. Just, but here's what's going on 
we have to remember that Jesus, as far as we can tell, never got married and never had a sexual relationship. And last I checked, had a pretty fulfilling life. So Paul basically makes a pivot here. And the reason that he does it is because of what was going on here. I mean, when you look at singleness, because he's talking about it here, singleness is not an affliction. He says it's a gift. It's not a lesser state than those that are married. He says it's a gift. It's just different. It's not wrong. Even if there are moments of loneliness, and I know that there can be for those that are single, there are different ways of having community and deep friendship than just in a marriage. And Paul says some people have a gift for this and other people don't. So what would that look like? I know over the years, you know, Wendy and I have had a number of people that have been single. They're in their 20s and 30s, and they basically come in and become a part of our family, whether it was North Carolina or even here in Texas. They're like family to us. They become an extension of who we are. Our door is always open. We consider them as one of our own. We invite them in. They've even gone on vacations with us. There's certainly ways of connecting with people outside of marriage. That's an example. But I also was thinking about this. This was some years ago when I was in seminary. And uh, there, was this, there was this girl in seminary and she was, she was beautiful. And what I found was professors were kind of talking to me and going, I was single by the way, thought you'd want to know. So the professors are talking to me and they're like, hey, you know, have you noticed her? And I'm like, well, I'm not blind. I mean, yeah, I've noticed her. What do you think? So all that we see is from that point forward, they start to try to finagle things where she and I kind of show up in the same space and have to start interact. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Start having to interact with each other, right? And then they'd kind of come back around. They go, I don't know, how'd the other night go? Even to this point, one of the professors says, hey, I'd love to have you over to the house. Uh, to, you know, my wife and I would love to have you at our home to, to give you a meal. And if you're a seminary student, trust me, meals, you'll take them, right? You have no cash. And so show up, walk in the door. Guess who was there? Yep, she was. She was. So I look over at him and I was like, that's well played, man. <laughs> You're really good. You're really good. Now, here's why I give this story. Unless something has changed, she's still single today. She is still single today. And she is on the mission field. and has been for over 20 years. See, there was just something else that the Lord had for her life that wasn't less. It was just different. And we've got to be careful, especially within a church, to think that if a person isn't married, that there's something that is inherently lacking to their life or that they're missing out on what God has for their life. Maybe what God has for them is just different than what you would desire for yourself. Paul was single. Jesus was single. Can I just say this? Just be careful with it. Maybe they have a gift and God is doing something different through them. Both are a gift. Marriage is a gift. Singleness is a gift. See, do you remember, you remember Genesis? Adam was alone and it wasn't good, right? Wasn't good. So God fashions the woman and she was, as it says, she was the same as him, but she was different. She was suitable for him and they were good helpers for each other. And so that said, there's some practical costs. I'm just, Paul's gonna shoot straight. There are practical costs that come with marriage. This guy's honest. Think about it. Verses 33 and 34, chapter seven. Y'all paying attention out there. He gets real, watch. The married man is anxious about worldly things. Let me be clear on this. Here's what he means. He's just talking about real earthly concerns, not sin, just real earthly concerns that come with life. He says the married man is anxious about worldly things, like how to please his wife 
and his interests are divided. Ah, he's right. In other words, keeping a marriage healthy, it takes time. Being a parent, it takes time. I'm just gonna shoot straight. I don't play as much golf as I used to. Like even kind of. I don't just up and go rock climbing like I used to. And when I was single, I remember looking at friends and I was like, y'all wanna go rock climbing in Colorado? Tonight? And they're like, can we hit the road in four hours? And I'm like, start packing. Shoom. And we were gone. And I would come flying back in literally sometimes in the morning in time for my class at the seminary from Colorado. You know why? Because I could. That's why. You know who doesn't do that stuff now? This guy. <laughs> I don't. You know why? It's because I have a wife and I have four beautiful daughters. She deserves a husband that's present and they deserve a daddy that's present. Doesn't mean don't have a life, but you know what I'm saying. It's just different. It's real. I don't just up and off to Colorado, going to Dave Matthews concerts and all those things, right? All right. Now, it's mostly, just so you know, most of my time, what does it go to? It goes to my girls. It goes to their hobbies. It goes to volleyball. It goes to activities, friends, those kinds. And that's all good stuff. It's exactly the way that it should be. I, was, I remember some years ago when I was coming in as a professor and there was a professor at Wheaton uh, who was prolifically published in Old Testament. And I remember talking with him. You know, I was like, what was that like? I mean, he had a wife and kids and he was old. He was up in years at that point. And I was like, what's that like? I said, like, I'm getting killed over here, man. I'm, I'm working on three books at the same time. And I'm like, how did you do it all? And there was something that he said that stuck with me. He said, yeah, I didn't write any books when my kids were young. I did that later. And I remembered that. There are some practical costs that come with it. And Paul just told you, yeah, that just, that's life. He tells you that in verses 33 and 34. Did you know that marriage takes money? Did you know that? Medical expenses, food, clothes, especially girls, hello. I mean, why is it that a boy's shirt is 12 bucks and a girl's shirt is 412 bucks? I don't know. I don't know, but I can tell you this, it's a reality. Girls' clothes, more expensive. Hair products. You can imagine how much it costs me to do my hair. It's insane. <laughs> All right, whatever. <laughs> say what you want. <laughs> you can say what you want. But, but uh, all right, I gotta throw this one out. There was actually a commercial last night for Bosley Hair Club for men. And one of my girls goes, hey, looked at me. Like, all right, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I would do it if your shirts weren't $412. <laughs> All right, I didn't say that. We're having fun now. Okay, here's the thing. You know, marriage takes money, medical expenses, reality, food, especially now. Have you gone to H-E-B lately? It's crazy. That's anywhere. It's not just H-E-B. Clothes, hair products, an attentive husband and father is gonna carry this weight around. How do I balance all that out? How do I pay the bills? How do I take care of my wife? It even affects career choices that you make. You may have opportunities come up and you go, but you know what? That's not best for my family. You know what Paul just told you in verses 33 and 34? Exactly. That's life. And it comes with a good decision. It changes things. Okay, how about the ladies? Because he just talked about the guys, right? Well, he actually talks about the ladies. Uh, in verse 34, the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. Notice she doesn't have the distraction of a marriage or anything like that. She can focus better. But here's what he goes. But the married woman is anxious about, catch it, worldly things. Same as the guy. Same as the husband. 
She's, she's anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband. Turns out the ladies feel the same way as the men. How do I hold all this in a good balance? How do I be a good wife? How do I be a good mama? How do I work with my husband on keeping this home in order? We all feel that way. So here's the question. You've seen it. You got two gifts. One is marriage and the other is singleness. They're different. Neither is greater or they're just different. One is not less. So the question becomes, how do I know what God has in store for me regarding marriage or singleness? I'm glad you asked. I'm gonna throw just a few helps for you there. In verse nine of chapter seven, here's what he said. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. Maybe you find yourself, like back then, maybe betrothed, which you could actually have a legal relationship even though you're not married with each other. You're, you're betrothed or you're, you're seriously courting, if you wanna put it in, the, in the, the current vernacular, like you're seriously dating. He's like, if you get to the point where you're actually not able to control your physical desires one with the other, pretty good indicator, it's time to get married, right? Your body is burning with passion. If they're not controlling themselves, he says, good indication, marriage is for you. But if you look at verse 26, here's what he says. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, which he was talking to them in their present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. In other words, don't get married. Something to consider. He's not offering this as a prescription like medicine. He's going, something you might want to think about. Well, what was their present distress? Well, he's saying if you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single, obviously. But the backdrop was they were being really persecuted by people. You, you would have husbands and wives and even their children being snatched out of their homes because Christians were targeted and persecuted. And he goes, hey, you might actually want to think about that before you get into this. Maybe not that marriage is bad, but maybe you go, it's not the time. There's a lot of reality here that we just need to get in order. Families divided, families sold into slavery. He's like, you can get married. Maybe it's not the best time. Some of you have felt the same way for other factors than is my kid going to be sold into slavery? but for different reasons. Or other realities that you're thinking about. For example, it's not time for me to get married because I'm gonna go, on, I'm gonna go do missions for a while. That's perfectly fine is what Paul's saying, do it. Or you're working through some things personally that you need to just sort out so that you're ready for what a marriage involves. That's perfectly fine, go for it. And Paul's saying, I get it, I get it. But when it's time to get married, pay attention. Because he says this in verse 36. If anyone thinks he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let them marry. It's no sin. He's like, go, go. This is a good thing. It's a gift. And verse 37, and be firmly established. Be firmly established. Okay, so here's what this means. It's when you make that decision, quit being fickle. Be firm in your decision when you made it. Be firm in it. Whether it's singleness, be firm in it and go with where God's taking you. In your marriage, be firm and go with where God's taking you. I had a friend, this was some years ago, I remember sitting down with her. She and her fiance had been engaged for seven years. For seven years. Awesome lady. So I sat down with her and I said, hey, can we talk? She's like, yeah. By the way, I, I had the right to say this. Don't go to people you don't know, right? I said, yeah. I said, yeah. Is there something he's still trying to figure out about you? She's like, I, I have no idea. I said, I mean, you've been engaged for seven years. Is there something, is there something that is keeping? And she said, yeah. I said, what is it? 
to his commitment. Some of us are so afraid of commitment that it keeps us from the blessing that the Lord wants us to enjoy. He says, be firmly, go and be firmly established in it. One of the things I'd hoped for her is that if the guy wasn't gonna commit to her, that he would release her from the relationship. Like just in that kind of act of love and care for her. But it leads us to this final question, who do I marry? And I want you to meet with me throughout the week and I'll give you a name. I'm kidding, we're not gonna do that. (laughs) Verse 39, everybody. Someone in the Lord. There's his advice. Someone in the Lord. A Christian marries a Christian. A Christian marries a Christian. And why is that? You have shared values. You have shared vision for the meaning of marriage. You have common values that lead you as you raise children. And you do it in line with those values. There's more, but there's certainly not less. When it's that time, you find a Christian. A couple of things that I want you to remember in, in all of this. I, I, you know, I gotta say, uh, you know, after 20 years of, of marriage, I, I would love to tell you that every day has been easy. Uh, but Revelation 21.8 says liars go to hell. <laughs> it's just not true. <laughs> it's not true. I'm a knucklehead. I am. I have moments of tremendous selfishness. And, and I have seen that clearer in my marriage than I have in any other relationship I've ever had. It's just true. Uh, and Wendy, if she were standing next to me, she would be passed out because she doesn't like to be in front of crowds. <laughs> but she would tell you the same thing. She has learned more about herself in this than in any other relationship that she has ever had in her life. We see our virtues more clearly, and we see our vices more clearly. And you know what? I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's been a blast. And even, even for having four children and taking in consideration, Paul's like, yeah, there's just some realities that come with that, right? Yeah, Jeremy, you don't just to get to go to Colorado when you want to. Okay, I wouldn't trade that. They're four of the best things that I've ever had in my life. Colorado can wait. They're better. So for, for everything that has come my way in this, the challenges, did you know there's the, always the flip side, which has been the blessings. And God has been so good. Ah, man, God has been so good. So something that I want you to hear is this, is how we close this morning. We wanna show in our marriages the same kind of love that Christ showed to us. And I know what you're saying. How deep is that love? How deep is that? Well, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's a pretty deep love. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I wanna love Wendy like that. I would like for Wendy to love me like that too. Hey, we're just shooting straight today, right? I wanna love her like that. And you know what? I think she deserves that, and so do I, and so do you. It's what God has called us. Being firmly established in our marriage, it looks like that. Or maybe you have the gift of singleness, 
being firmly established with that call on your life. It's not lesser, it's just different. And God will bless it. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.